Now, as I was thinking about what I was going to say at first, and I wanted to say we're going to talk about sex, but we're not talking about sex, okay? Um, if you need to know what sex is, you need to talk to your parents. Um, so I'm not going to be talking about the ins and outs of what sex is like. But um, let, me, um, let, me be, let me be honest for a second. Um, I did, I've done a lot of research recently. <laughs> Um, on studying the dysfunction of sexuality in our culture. And the statistics are actually so depressing and so sad that I don't even want to mention them. Um, The amount of students or young people who access pornography on a regular basis, the amount of young people who um, engage in having sex, um, there is just a lot of evidence that most people are having sex before they even kiss. Um, a lot of dysfunctions in terms of, of what marriage should look like, of is it okay to live with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, and, and there's a million questions or, or revolving around uh, gender fluidity and all these different things. And if I'm being honest for a second, I think as Christians we would be foolish not to at least talk about it a little bit. This is such a huge issue, and, and there's so many complexities to it. Um, so in three weeks, obviously, we're not going to be able to answer every question. We're not going to be able to, to give you everything you'll need to know to be prepared to live a life that is godly and holy. But what we desire to do is kind of get the conversation started, to at least address the elephant in the room that every single one of us, um, whether we like to admit it or not, have some way in which our sexuality is damaged or distorted because of sin. And I wish I could tell you that having a sexuality that is pleasing to the Lord, that is healthy, and the way God has made it is simply just you need to know the right things. But the way we are designed, the way God has created us, is that it's not just knowing the right things. I mean, um, our, our sexual identity is such an important part of us that it affects us psychologically and spiritually and emotionally, and, and it's a huge web. And many of us um, have, have been doing things for so long that uh, whether it's a, an addiction to pornography or whether or not it's acting out with someone or whether or not it, it's you having um, a life that is just bent against doing what is right, it's not as simple as just, I'm going to stop. Um, I, I think for a lot of us, uh, we spent years, months, days, weeks of our lives learning to cope, learning to run to other things other than God, and we've kind of developed these habits and these mindsets and these uh, misconceptions over a long period of time, and it's not going to just be you wake up the next day and it's all healed and better. So, with that said, um, I wish I could spend more time on this, and I just can't, because it's, I could, I literally was telling I think, Tyler Jones that I could spend the whole year talking about the complexities of sexual sin and sexual identity, um, but I would still not even have enough time. So, we, we desire just to have one, an opening conversation about what is the Bible kind of calling us to be like? What, is, what does the gospel have to say about sexuality? And then the next two weeks after that, we want to show negative ways in which sexuality is being impacted because of sin. And what is really culture 
saying about sex. And, and the third week, we want to show a positive view, biblically, of how sexuality should be lived out in the Christian. And again, um, these aren't to be exhaustive things that after these three weeks, I never think I need to know. Um, I mean, there's, I can just recommend book after book after book. And actually, in the third week, we will pass out a list of resources that I think are the most helpful in learning to find true accountability and understanding. So with that said, it is a huge topic. It, is, it can be an awkward one. I realize that. Mentioning pornography is not something I like to do, right? Um, and some of you guys know that. I've met with you. I think just about all of you. That word comes up, and you look around. You're like, yo, bro, why are you talking like that? It's not something I want to, but again, it's something I feel like we would be um, unwise not to. So we need a lot of prayer, and so I think we should pray. Father, um, we come to you because of what Christ has done. Uh, We know that we can have the confidence to pray to you and that you'll hear us. And so, Lord, we ask for your grace and your strength. And, Lord, we ask for just humble and honest hearts, that we would be humble enough to listen to what your word is saying. And, Lord, if there's any wrongdoing or wrong thinking, I pray that your spirit would correct all of us into what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be someone who follows Jesus now and not the world? So, Lord, I, I just pray that these students would always have in the front of their mind grace, grace, and grace. Help us not to ever obey out of shame or out of guilt or out of oughtness, but let us obey because Jesus is worth it and because he is beautiful and because there is forgiveness in your name, Jesus. Help us to not be people who are legalistic, but rather let us be grace-empowered Christians. We pray in your name. Amen. So as we start, um, we're going to start with a little object lesson, okay? So this is a what? This is a rose, okay? So a lot of times when I hand my kids something, I'm like, be very careful with this, okay? Like, don't break it. Something like kind of fragile. But um, those rules do not apply, okay? So here's the object lesson. I'm going to pass this around. We're going to start over here. We're going to kind of go all the way back. But when it comes to you, I really want you to touch this thing. I want you to, like, smell it, feel it, make, make observations. Look, I mean, even that's okay, you know? Like, it's okay if leaves fall off or whatever. Like, just make sure you do as much as you can just to kind of, like, absorb this rose, see what it's like, bend it around. Um, yeah. Okay, so don't be shy, okay? Don't just kind of, like, get it. Okay, here, your turn, right? Like, just... just Give it a full treatment, okay? And then when it gets through, maybe we'll do it one more time, but don't come back to me. So, okay, she's allergic. That's too bad, okay? So, um, go ahead and look down at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Okay, it says this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, 
nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetousness, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were You were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Okay, we'll end there for a second. So there there are three points that I want to, for us to kind of frame this passage in tonight. And like I said, tonight is more of like kind of like we're introducing the topic a little bit, okay? So the first thing I want to say is this. Sexual sin is diametrically opposed to the gospel. Sexual sin is diametrically opposed to the gospel. What do I mean by that? Go ahead and look down at, at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, again, if we want to be good students of the Bible, we have to really make sure we understand what Paul is talking about. That's okay, you can drop the rose. <laughs> so, that first word in, in verse 1 says this, therefore. Now, what do we ask when we come to a therefore? What is it therefore, right? So go ahead and scroll up to Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. Paul, Paul says this, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Okay, so the whole book of Ephesians, the first three chapters, Paul wants to explain the theology behind what is the gospel. And if you want the best definition of the gospel, this is, this is what it is. That we are saved not by any works that we can muster up to do, but we are saved by grace. And that grace is received when we trust and we believe and we put our faith in Jesus. Now Paul is making a point here. He says, okay, if you are now going to believe in Jesus, if you are going to be someone that lives by the Messiah... What does he say? You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And what what he's getting at here is he's saying, you have been saved, you have been transformed, you have the gospel in your life. Try not to be too distracted by the rose, it'll come to you, I promise, okay? You have been saved by the Lord, now live a life worthy of the gospel. So he summarizes mostly in, in chapter 4, 17, through all the way through 5 chapter verses 1 and 2, he's talking about their conduct and their speech. If you want to live a life worthy of the Lord, watch your conduct and watch your speech. But now, what does he do? Verse 3, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. So here's the point, guys, listen Sexual sin is the opposite of self-sacrificial love. 
Look at verse 2 of chapter 5. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, right there is, a, is the picture. Listen. Listen. So listen with our eyes, right? The best picture of the gospel is this, that Christ would lay down his life for us. Okay? Um, I had this, this illustration I use in the middle schoolers. I'll use it with you guys now. We're, like, doing some mission trip, airline, you know, travel business stuff. And, and a few more people signed up, so we call our travel agent, and we're like, hey, um, we need to add a few more tickets. They're like, oh, we can't do that. Go on Southwest and do them yourself and just buy the same flight. Great, whatever. Go on Southwest.com and come to find out, like, you know, that flight, I don't see it anywhere. We print out the contract that we have. It says 5.30 p.m. to 8.20 p.m. Well, I checked the flight number, and it was 5.30 a.m. to 8.20 a.m. Now, it does a few things. It adds a, a few more costs for the rental vans, for a few more meals. Um, I don't want to start you guys off on a mission trip early, early in the morning. And so we, we call them. We're like, yo, um, our contract says that... Uh, it's 5.30 p.m., but on southwest.com, it says it's a.m. And they take, like, six hours to get back to us, but they pretty much said, like, hey, we're going to try to get you onto a flight with Alaska at the same time. We'll absorb the $3,000 cost, but it comes with the fact that you have to pay for your baggage now, which is an extra $50 a person. So I'm left here with something. Because of their mistake, I have to pay for it, Right? Why should I have to pay extra money when, when you were the one who made the mistake? When I, when I heard myself talking, I, rem, I reminded myself of something. When Jesus was on the cross, did he do anything wrong? Yet he absorbed all of the punishment, all of the pain and the shame and the guilt of all of our sins. Yet he didn't deserve it. And, and so in that situation, by the way, it got worked out, so don't worry about it. But they got off to another Southwest flight later in the afternoon, and it's okay. But, but when, I, when I thought about that, that, you know what? Jesus on the cross laid down his life. He took the ultimate punishment that he did not deserve. And so that, that is the picture of what love should always look like that I would lay down my life for the other person. Now, as Christians, we believe in a Trinitarian God, right? We don't bring up the Trinity a lot. The picture is fascinating to some of you. But really quick, um, I'm, I'm getting somewhere with all of this, okay? So you've got the Father, you've got the Son, you've got the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, we just sang a song kind of an anthem to the Holy Spirit. Now, if you did not have the Trinity, you don't have a good picture of love. Because if it was only God the Father and he made the earth and he made humans, he did it so that he could get and receive love. That he is some um, egomaniac God who needs the praise of mere humans, right? But if you have a Trinitarian God, which says the Son will lay down his life for the Father, and the Father will lay down his life for the Spirit, and the Spirit will lay down his life for the Father. So you have this, this dance in the Trinity that they are all bowing to the other person. That God is perfectly content in himself. Why is that important? 
because sex was created by God, and sex, the way that God has designed it within marriage between a man and a woman, ultimately is a picture of God himself. And here's what the picture is. That one person would lay down their life for the other person. You see, in my marriage with Amy, something we say a lot is that I want to consider your interest above my own, assuming that you're doing the same for me. See, if I had a relationship with Blake, and it was always me, and a very platonic relationship, right? Friendship. (laughs) If I had a friendship with Blake, and it was always me, just going out of my way to be gracious and kind and forgiving, and yet he never acted that way to me, wouldn't it kind of become hard to love that person? And so sex defined in our culture, I remember my, my, one of my good friends, his dad in high school, uh, I, I wrote this down. He said, get as much sex as you can and as with as many people as you can. When I told people that I was engaged at the age of 20, they said, no, 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 you need, you need to live with her first because you really need to sleep with her to see if sex... Um, if you guys are compatible. And so we're being told that, that have sex with people to see if it works for you. But you see, every sexual sin, whether it's actually acting out with another person or whether it's viewing pornography or whether it's a host of other things, and we'll get to that in a second, do you know what it is saying in essence, sexual sin? You serve me and my desires. But what does the gospel say? I lay down my life for you. And that is supposed to be the picture of what sexual intimacy looks like in marriage. Not that you give me what I want. You lay down for my comfort. You lay down for what makes me feel good. But rather, Christ, who laid down his life as a fragrant offering, we are to be people who lay down our lives for others. Therefore, sex and marriage is supposed to be a picture of how I'm laying down my life for my wife and she is laying down her life for me. You see, it's a Trinitarian concept in which Jesus does not try to, in his earthly ministry, he says, I do the will of my Father. The Spirit's work is to testify about Jesus. See, every sexual sin is an opposite picture of what the gospel should look like. And that is why we need to be people who, who are aware and engaged that when we live a life that isn't resulting in sexual immorality, we are living a different life than the gospel that we believe in. Every time we have a misconception about sex, every time we, we turn to a sexual sin to give us satisfaction or, or gratitude or, or, or some kind of coping mechanism, what we are in essence saying is that the gospel is not good for me. So guys, listen, we, we have to get our understanding of this clear, that all sexual immorality is an anti-gospel. It is a what you serve for me. I mean, um, allow me, allow me to just to say this, and it might be awkward, but think of pornography for a second. A lot of times I'll refer to 
pornography as Burger King, have it your way. It is literally what this person visually can do for me. It is in essence saying, you do what is good for me. And that is not the picture of the gospel. That is an anti-gospel. And because of that, like, uh, I mean, one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about talking about this is because, one, I know how big of an epidemic it really is. And here's the thing, like, my goal and my desire is to see you guys to not one day be the church, because you are the church. If you're a Christian now, you're a part of the church. But to be people who lead and who go out and make disciples and who are strong and have integrity and you care about the Lord. But let me be very clear. If you are stuck in the bondage of sin, you will never have the courage to lead. As long as you are trapped and enslaved by sin, How can you have the confidence to stand up for what is right? Because you will always feel that hypocritical nature in you. So the second point I want to say is this. Sexual sin is complex. So go ahead and look down at uh, verses 4. He goes on, and you might think that he's switching topics, but he's really not. He says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead... Let there be thanksgiving. So it's interesting. When he's talking about crude jokes, he is actually still referring to any talk that is sexual in nature. And so a lot of times, you know, I, I'll, be, I'll be scrolling Facebook, and I'll see some random BuzzFeed article that um, someone liked and it shared, and it popped up. And one was, like, crazy, like, which animal are you during sex? 25 things to know about how to have better sex. And it's like these dumb, horrible things that I just like go out to the masses. And when I think about what Paul is saying here, like no, that there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking, I mean, I, I'll be honest, like when I was a high schooler, I was a Christian. And, and, I, and I tried to live my life as, as much as I could to please the Lord, right? And I just tried really hard. But here's a few things. I knew better than to go and try to have wild, crazy sex and with as many people as I can, as much of it. Okay? I knew better. But with all my youth group friends, I mean, the things that we talked about was just as wrong and just as horrible um, I think the Lord gave me four daughters for a reason. (laughs) Chuckle at that, but I think because I had such a low view of women before I was married and before I had daughters, that um, that honestly the way we we talk about women was just dishonorable, disgraceful. And not having four daughters um, and seeing a, a female heroine in Star Wars has like, changed my entire view of, of like, how to look at women, right? Like, like at first I was really like, like, what? The Jedi is a girl? I struggled with that. You can keep passing it around. Pass it back. Yeah, we'll keep going. Just, just don't be shy with it. We're getting somewhere with that. 
But when I say sexual sin is complex, listen, I realize that when I use the word pornography in front of some of you, like that word doesn't, doesn't mean much. That word is a far-off concept. But I know when I mention that word, something that's a real intense thing that you feel because you struggle with it. When, when I talk about things like comparing body image, when I, when I talk about acting out with your boyfriend or girlfriend, that, that might be far off, okay? But as an illustration I used last week that I like to use, imagine if a glass fell over. Say we did that ten times. Maybe nine out of the ten times, the glass would break the same way. But imagine the tenth time, it breaks a completely different way. And, and that is what it's like for all of us. That no one person here struggles the same way with their sexual identity, their sexual sins. And so when we talk about some of these... Um, these sexual sins, and, and next week especially when we talk about the negative things that we kind of see in culture about sex, that might be like weird and you don't get it and it's different, but this is what we have to, so we have to remember. When Paul says sexual immorality, the word he's using is the word porneia, or we get the word pornography, right? And what it entails is the, the whole range of effect of how our sexual identity or sexual sexuality has been distorted so sexual sin is complex you may think that since you have never acted out with a boy or a girl or you've never looked at pornography that you're doing pretty well and that's where i maybe challenge you to really begin to see how there's so much more to this than simply how we act out in fact this is what i would say imagine there's a big tree all right, imagine there's this huge apple tree. Even though apple trees don't get super big, but just carry with me in the illustration. Imagine this big apple tree. And imagine there's this big apple. What I like to say when it comes to sexual sin, sexuality, the apple is just the fruit of the whole tree. So, for example, acting out by looking at things that you shouldn't, by daydreaming, by, by watching things that you shouldn't watch, that is just the fruit of the issue. Pornography is just the fruit of the dysfunction in our heart in which we are looking for something that only God can fill. In fact, there was this one bishop at one time, I forget his name, but he says every single time a man knocks on the door of a brothel, he is searching for God. And what he is trying to say that every single one of us, when we turn to sex or something sexual that is not the way God has designed it. We are looking for something to fill us that only God can. So sexual sin is complex. It's different for all of us. Third point. Where's that, Rosa? Wow. I didn't break it in there. I'll take it now. All right. I mean, that's not... Too bad, right? I mean, this is kind of... Whoa. It's all right. Some of those about to fall off. This is broken off completely. This is about to break. Um, I once heard an illustration where a guy, pastor, he got a rose, single stem rose like this, and he passed it around the room. And he had everyone touch it and feel it and smell it. I love the way roses smell, by the way. And when it got done with everyone... It looked about like this, broken, kind of not as pretty anymore. Leaves are falling off, stem, whatever. And what he said was, 
that if any of you ever engage in sexual sin, this is what you will look like. Where what you're doing is you're, you're taking your beautiful rose and you're raking it through the mud and you're destroying it and it's not beautiful anymore. So whether or not you lost your virginity or you look at pornography or you, you think about a lot of things that aren't pure, what he would say is that you have taken your beautiful rose, and you have ruined it. Just like hearing that story makes me like want to die inside. What a, what a horrible thing to tell people. What a horrible lie to tell people. This is what I want to say. Um, in, this, in this youth group... <laughs> We, we want to live by, by grace. We want to live um, knowing that, that Christ has died for all of our, our past, present, and future mistakes. And, and here's what I want to, here's my third point. Sexual sin should never define you. Here's what I want to say. If you are a Christian living by grace through the cross, this is what you always look like. The beautiful rose. That is not distorted. There is no sense in which you can ever do too much sin or engage in too much sexual sin that you are distorted in any way. You know, I, in my generation of Christians, um, I, I remember there were so many like, things at camps where they would come up and they would say, make this vow to, to keep your virginity. Yeah, wear the purity rings, they would say. You know, uh, how far is too far? Um, they, they try to answer these dumb questions. And, you know, I just remember thinking, like, what if someone does break this vow to be pure? What if someone does have mistakes and failures <coughs> and falls? And, in fact, what, what I think they were doing, they are damaging young people on their view of sexuality. Because hear it. Clear and plainly. Sex is amazing. And in fact, it is one of the best things of life. Clearly because I have four kids, right? (laughs) Um, Sex is not something that we should ever be ashamed of. Sex is not something that we should shy away from. Sex is something that is God-intended and God-made, and he loves sex. And then here is is what I need to say. Look at verse 8 really quick. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. See, Paul ends this section by, by reminding you of your identity. If you are in Christ, you are children of light. There is grace. Listen, I, I, would, I never, never, ever would want to motivate someone just to say, go be pure, don't do this. If you do this, you're a horrible person. No, 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 no. Listen, we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to have ways in which sin comes up and it shows its ugly head. But this is why we need to remember what Christ has done for us. That we really learn to see, because of what Jesus has done, I don't have to be defined by my past mistakes. 
I don't have to feel the guilt and the shame anymore of what I've done. And in fact, when we remember the gospel, do you know what it allows us to do? It actually allows us to be honest. And it allows us to begin to looking into our heart and seeing why am I chasing after things that only God can fill. And do you know what the gospel allows me to do? It allows me to, to take other Christian brothers and to look them in the eye and to be honest and to confess my sin and to seek for accountability. And so when we think about sexual sin, every single person here is distorted in some way and to lesser and larger degrees. But praise the Lord that in Christ, he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Now whether or not you've acted out yesterday or a year ago, in Christ, he sees us completely perfect, without blemish, and holy. And so, listen, I, I don't ever want to motivate or, or tell you that just go and do this and don't do that. Here's what I want to say. As gospel people, learn to walk in a way that pleases God. And do you know why sexual sin doesn't please God? Because it is an anti-gospel. Because it says, I want you to serve me instead of what Christ said. I will lay down my life for you. So that, that, that's what we want to seek to, to grow into and to learn to behave in a way that is pleasing to Christ. And let me say one more thing. We talk a lot about how we want to be distinct in our culture, that we want to look different. We want to be salt and light and to, to be a city on a hill where, where people see us and they glorify God in heaven. And in our culture, let me be very clear, if you seek to be pure because of what Christ has done for you, if you seek to live a life that pleases Jesus in your sexuality, I guarantee you that that will probably be one of the biggest ways that you can be distinct in your Christian faith. So, lastly, when you sin, don't ever feel like that sin defines you. Don't ever feel like you are a, a, a bruised rose and that one day your future spouse will get a lesser view of you. We are sinners saved by grace. We are people who realize that, that yes, we're going to have mistakes and we're going to do things that we shouldn't do. But that's why we lean into the gospel and learn to live a life that is pleasing to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to always remember the sacrifice that Jesus did for us. Help us to know, Lord, that, that there are many ways in our life in which we still live and act that are contrary to the gospel that we confess in. And so, Lord, for these students, I pray, God, that you would begin to really work in their lives in such a way to where they can see the misconceptions they have about the gospel. I pray, Lord, that we would never turn to obedience or religious performance simply because we want to earn a good relationship with you. But rather, Lord, I pray that we would be people who are, who are pure, who have not even a hint of sexual immorality in us because of what Christ has done for us. So, Lord, help, help none of us who are trusting in Christ, who are putting our faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus be 
burdened with our past mistakes. Let us not be burdened with our sins. Help us, Lord, to confess them and to walk away from them, to live as children of the light. Thank you, Lord, for grace. Thank you for this time. And we ask, Lord, that you just multiply um, all the things we have spoken here. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.